Guys, are you ready for God's word? Wonderful. Well, I, I tell you what, we have an amazing sermon series that we've been working through, and it's entitled Detox. Detox. Now, we've said that God, in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, the Bible says that God, the God of peace, wants to what? Sanctify us completely. I want you to think about that word sanctify. It's a technical term, which means to set apart, to take out, set it apart, make it holy for his purpose. Now, if you theologically look that up in different, um, and get different theological definitions, you're going to see all of those components I just covered. To set it apart, to make it holy, to transform it for his purpose. You know what, he's, what God is doing? He's making you into the image of his son. That you might be a reflection of Jesus Christ everywhere you go. Everywhere you go, you're a walking billboard. And he wants to do this completely. Think about this. He says, in your whole spirit, in your soul, and in your body. How does he do this? Well, he does it under the power of the Holy Spirit But he needs you involved. He needs us involved. In fact, if you back up a little bit in that same chapter, you go to verse 16. He says there's three things specifically that you can do that allow the Holy Spirit to do this work. To participate with the Holy Spirit in doing this work. Now, how many of us know the Holy Spirit's not going to force himself on us? In fact, this verse says a lot about about how you involve yourself with the Spirit, or how you work with the Spirit. It says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and what's the last one? In everything, give thanks. So I want you to see the the all-encompassing, you know, verbiage here. It says what? Rejoice, not sometimes, but always. Pray, not sometimes, but Don't ever stop praying. And then he says, be grateful or or with thanks, you know, give thanks in every situation, in everything. And then watch the way he finishes. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Now we're going to cover how the Holy Spirit is what makes joy possible. The Holy Spirit is what makes joy possible. I want you to know that joy is a gift. Joy is a gift. It's a gift from the Lord Jesus Christ. And it happens at the point of salvation. Read in your Bibles with me, John 10.10. Now this is a verse that really highlights what Jesus came to do. He came to give us joy. He came for it to overflow. Now watch what he says here. The thief, who's the thief? Satan. Satan came to Steal, kill, and destroy. Or this is the thief's purpose. The thief comes only in order to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they, who's they? You and me. Those that receive Jesus may have and enjoy life. Not just have life, but live it in a joyful manner. Watch this. And have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. Till it overflows. This is what the, what, what, what the Lord is painting in your mind. He says, I want to fill you up with joy and peace. So much so that it starts to overflow and you share it with others. You share it with those around you. You share it with your spouse. You share it with your children. You share it with your circle of influence. Everywhere you go, you're just oozing joy. Amen. You say, really, pastor? No, listen. Listen to what else the Bible says about this thing called joy. In Romans 15, Paul puts it this way. Now may the God of hope fill you. There's that word fill again, right? Jesus came to what? Fill us with joy to where it overflows. So Paul is saying, fill you with all joy and peace as you believe in him. Did you catch that? When you believe, you receive joy and peace. See, joy... The gift of joy is received when you are saved. When you are saved. If you're not saved, then you're operating on an earthly, earthly 
capacity for joy. You say, wait a minute, joy can only be felt by those that are Christians. I'm not sure about that. And the reason I say that is because C.S. Lewis writes a book and others have, have encountered joy while not being saved and then encourages you to get saved. How so? And that you're surprised by this emotion that is greater than you've ever felt in this world. Why? Because joy comes from outside of this world. And you say, but, but non-Christians can't experience grace. Although the Bible says that his grace, his grace in the form of rain, in the form of blessings, in the form of his love, covers the just and the unjust. So it is possible to get glimpses of this joy, but you won't truly live by it until the power of the Holy Spirit transforms you from the inside out. Now watch, how does that transformation take place? When you believe faith in Jesus Christ. Watch what he says in Romans 14. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. What's he saying there? He's saying, listen, God didn't come up to just set up a physical kingdom. What I want you to know about his gifts, they go beyond the physical. In the physical, that's what this world is all about. God's kingdom starts at the spiritual and it trickles down and fills the physical. Can I tell you something? If you start at the physical, you'll never get to the spiritual. You need to go from the spiritual down. And this is what he says, but the righteousness... Peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Let's read it all together because I broke it up. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness. What do you mean righteousness? See, when you believe in Jesus Christ, you are declared righteous. You're declared righteous. Now let's go back to this. The, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. How many of you know that if you give him a chance, he will steal all your joy? He doesn't want you listening to the Holy Spirit. He doesn't want you living under the power of the Holy Spirit. He will steal your joy. Now, let me ask you another question. How many of us know that God wants you to live in joy? Let me put it to you this way. Any parents here find it their greatest joy, their greatest privilege, and their, their greatest happiness to, to make sure their kids are miserable, broke, busted, disgusted, that they walk around completely defeated with their lip hanging low. And that's what you get so much pleasure in. I like ruining the lives of my children. Any parent here like that so we can pray for you right now? You know, I don't think... And we laugh about that, and some dads go, yeah, I like giving my kids a hard time. But, but in, in all actuality, we want to see our kids enjoy life. Come on, dads. How many of you love to see your kids have fun in your presence? I mean, just truly overflow with joy. Even when they're adults. Even now, now that my kids are, are, are walking from from adolescence into adulthood. And my, my daughter Raquel comes over and she plays with her, with her siblings and they have a good time and they're joking and laughing and dancing. And I just, lay, I just sit back and go, wow, that's what I love. You know, the truth is, this is what God says. If he is here and we are here in terms of, matter of fact, the Bible says, my ways are so far above yours, it's like the difference between the earth and the heavens. I'm here and you're here, but if you know how to love your children, how much more can I love you? What does that mean? What I want you to connect with is the idea that God wants to have you live in joy, and it was his idea. It was his idea. He's not a killjoy. He's not up there wanting you to walk around feeling guilty, feeling shame, having no fun, making sure that all you ever do is work, 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 work. God has no desire for joy. No, God wants you to enjoy all things that he has created. He wants you to experience work, but he also wants you to experience the joy in that work. Amen? Because God is a good God. But the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Steal, kill, kill, kill and destroy. 
I want you to know that he'll do it in little ways too. Come on. He wants to steal this gift of joy that God has given you. This gift that he gave you when he saved you. I want you to go back to that, that verse here. The kingdom of God. No, no, let's go right where you were. You were in a perfect spot. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness. God wants you to feel the love that he came to give you when he proclaimed you righteous. Righteous. You go, what do you mean, pastor? What do you mean? I want you to think about what real belief in God is. Real belief in God happens when you become saved. Well, how am I saved? We need to understand that we have all, all fallen short of God's glory. Let me ask you a question. Do you have any spiritual beliefs? Do you have any, any idea of, of, uh, of the, what happens after you die? Where do you think you'll go? You know, it's interesting because every time I talk to someone, even many churchgoers that believe they're Christians, they all think they're going to heaven because they're not that bad. Can I tell you something? You're not that good. I'm not that good. And we're all in this together. Let me put it to you this way. Have you heard of the Ten Commandments? Of course you have. Let me ask you another question. Did you know the Ten Commandments are also put on your heart? It's called the moral law. You have the law in God's word that can be separated into ceremonial law and different parts of the law. But the part I want to talk to you about today is called the moral law. It's how God asks us to live under his, his authority. You say, well, what kind of things? Let me ask you this. One of the commandments says, thou shalt not lie. Has anyone ever lied in this room? Have you ever lied? If you didn't raise your hand, you can raise your hand now because you just lied. Right? I mean, we've all lied. Can I ask you how many lies you've told? Well, uh, no, don't answer. I already know more than we care to hear about, right? Let me ask you another question. Beyond lying, have you ever stolen something, taken something that wasn't yours? Anyone? Let me ask you another question. Have you ever used God's name in a casual, disrespectful way? That's called blasphemy. And according to God's word, it's punishable by death. You say, wait a minute, pastor. Why are you making me feel so bad? I thought this was about joy. I want you to understand the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking and feeling good in an earthly way. It comes spiritually first and then it washes down into the earthly and into your physical life. But if you don't start with the spiritual, you'll never get there starting with just the physical. And so this is what I'm trying to get you to understand. I shared this with you a couple of weeks ago. The law is beautiful. The law is holy. Why? Because it shows us that God is not ordinary. God is not an ordinary God. Because so many people say, yeah, but for me, I don't see God that way. Come on, how many of you have ever heard that? How many of us have ever said that? I don't see God that way. To me, God knows my heart. He knows that I mean well. And I don't lie too bad. I pretty much care for people. And he's going to measure it. And he's, can I tell you, you just broke another commandment. The Bible says, make no false gods before your God. And you're putting a false God, a God you constructed, that makes you feel good. What does the Holy Scripture say? God is perfect, and he will judge every sin from the smallest to the largest. He will judge your thoughts. You'll give account for your words. So let's get back. 
because I want to make sure we know who we are. We're lying, thieving blasphemers. Right? How many of us have ever committed adultery? Jesus says if you've ever lusted after someone, you've committed adultery. Anyone ever commit adultery? Come on, you're human. Raise your hand. That's what Jesus is saying. If you're human, you need a Savior. How many of us have ever hated someone, talked ill about them, or gossiped them? We've just murdered them according to God's law. That's what Jesus said. So let's just be sure we know what we're talking about here. We're lying, thieving, blasphemers, adulterous, murderers at heart. Now, this are my words. You're admitting to this. You're admitting to this. You say, well, that doesn't help me feel joy. It will when you understand you have a Savior. You have a Savior. See, the law is like taking you up on a high cliff and then dangling you over eternity and saying, do you want to go at this alone? Do you want to die and face God on your own? That's like saying, yeah, 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 just drop me, push me. I'll do it on my own. I'll flap my arms and, and I think I can make it. Instead, what I'm doing today is I'm hanging you over and saying, hey, make sure you're saved because someday you're going to face a living God and, and, and the good news is you, you don't have to face him alone. You can pull you back over the edge. You can put your trust in Jesus Christ. He's the parachute of life. He's like a parachute that you put on and you say, I don't have to flap my arms and try to do it in my own strength. That's what the Bible says. Whoever puts their trust in Jesus Christ shall be saved. What do you mean put your trust in Jesus Christ? This is the righteousness part, but of righteousness. See, we were guilty and we were facing a capital death sentence. A capital death sentence. Yeah, but I just don't see how my little lies are that bad. It's because your image of God is down here. You need to see the God of the scripture who is awesome and mighty, the host of heaven's armies, the one that spoke and stars left into existence, the one that breathed life into your body, the one that knit you together in your mother's womb according to his word. That awesome God hates sin. And that's why you can count on that God because he is not finicky. He doesn't change his mind like our politicians do. He doesn't play loose with words. You can take what he says to the bank and build a life on it. And when he says, I hate sin, he means it. But he says, but I am rich in mercy. And instead of, instead of asking you to pay for your sin with your life, I give you an opportunity to have my son stand in your place. My son came. He hung on the cross because of his love for you and he died and you can have that substitutionary work applied to you where you take your righteousness, all your thoughts that haven't measured up, all your actions that haven't measured up and you nail them to the cross and you get the righteousness of Jesus Christ covers you. It covers you. The blood of Jesus washes you white as snow. That's salvation. And when one person gets saved, the angels in heaven rejoice because salvation is about joy. It's about joy. They rejoice and the Holy Spirit gives you joy. He puts it in your heart. Do you know that's your birthright when you become saved? You say, Pastor, let's get back to that saved thing because I'm still dangling over the cliff of eternity. How do I get saved? You say, I put my trust in you, Lord Jesus. What you did at the cross, you did it for me. I receive that. I want that. 
I don't put my trust in my own strength anymore, in my own ability to live right. So from this moment, I'm walking towards you. I live for you and I live supernaturally by the Holy Spirit that indwells me. Watch. Righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Let's go to what Peter says. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. Do you see that trust? That belief? I believe in Jesus. I may not see him, but I'm going to feel him. Why? Because the Holy Spirit will come in and change your life. Change your life. Listen, if anyone wants that, today's the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Don't be hard-hearted. At any moment, you could face the judgment on your own. You want Jesus Christ advocating for you and saying, no, she's mine. He's mindful. Watch this. When you believe in him and are filled, there's that word filled again, with an inexpressible and glorious joy. That's what happens when you receive the gift of Jesus Christ. You know, he talks about this in the book of Isaiah, and many people think, well, this is for the people coming home. But this wasn't fulfilled completely, not the way Isaiah is describing it. I believe this is for the people that are saved coming home to the new Jerusalem. And this could include our Jewish brothers, but it definitely includes the church, I believe. And watch this, it says, and the ransom of the Lord shall return. And come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. Come on, how many of us would love everlasting joy? It's your promise. It's your promise if you're, if you're saved, if Jesus Christ ransomed you with his blood. Now watch this. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee from, from them. Will flee away, will no longer be there. This is why the Bible says, no more crying, no more tears. He will dry them all away and there will be no more pain. Because joy, joy is your birthright. Your birthright as a Christian. Amen. Not only is joy a gift, but it's a command. Do you know you're commanded to have joy? Read what the Bible says in the book of Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord when? Always. In case you missed it, he says, I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. Notice the the punctuation there. The punctuation is a what? Exclamation. It's an imperative. It's an exclamation. It's a command saying, you shall do this. This is the way I want you to live. Why? Because I gave you a new life in order to live this way. Watch what else he says. In 1 Thessalonians, we've already covered this. Rejoice always. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. See, what I want us to understand something is this. We'll leave that verse up there. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. You're told rejoice. But what if you don't rejoice and you're disobedient to the commandment? What happens when you're disobedient to the commandment? In first service, someone says, you get punished. I'm like, wow, those first service folks. Right? I'm like... Yeah, I don't want to answer that. <laughs> let's just, let's just, that's not exactly what I had in mind. What I had in mind was you become more like a person that can what? Disobey the command. Have you noticed that in life? You become more like the person you are becoming. Think about that with me for a second. I'm disobeying the command. I become more like a person that can disobey the command. It gets easier, doesn't it? You become more like the person that can disobey the command, who becomes more like the person that can disobey the command. But what if you, what if you allow the new life in Christ to take form and you start to obey the command? You become more like a person that can obey the command, becomes more like the person. You say, why are you saying this? Because that's exactly what Paul is saying. Watch, rejoice always. Follow the command and you will not quench the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will become more and more alive until it flows and overflows and fills you and fills you and overflows you. Do you see that? Do you see that when you don't obey, the Holy Spirit is quenched and you're releasing what? 
Well, watch what the Bible says in the book of Galatians. Walk in the Spirit. That's why I'm talking about a walk, a journey. Jesus said what? He said the path is narrow. It's a journey. You're headed heavenward. And as you walk in the Spirit, you're becoming more and more like Christ because the Spirit will transform you into what? A completely sanctified, sanctified Son of God that resembles Jesus Christ. That's the point. Now watch. Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. Now we're going to just define some terms really, really quickly. To walk is parapateo, which means around to be encircled, to walk, move with your feet. It's pateo. So if you combine them together, it's to habitually walk in the in the vicinity of what? Of joy. Specifically joy. The life of joy. So you're living out. This is why Paul says what? Rejoice sometimes. Make it your habit to walk in the spirit of joy. Oh, come on. That's good preaching. Thank you, Pastor. Amen. Amen. Watch. Watch what else he says. He says, fulfill. Fulfill is teleo, which is to bring forth from a, from a, to bring forward, to bring forth, to, it starts off small, but it grows. What grows? The lust. Epitumeos. Epitumia or tumia is from two words, epi and tumus. Epi means to over the top, to rule over intensely. Passionate desire. You combine those two words together and you are, you, you're left with to be ruled by intense passion. And so when you walk in your flesh, you say, but how do I walk in my flesh? I'm having trouble seeing this, Pastor. Give me practicals. Let me give you a practical. The Bible says, don't envy. When you envy, it kills your joy. Nothing is harder on your joy than you coveting another brother's stuff. Life. What's for you is for you. God has something beautiful for you. When you covet somebody else's, you go, what about, what what, what else? How about unforgiveness? How did you receive joy when God lavished his forgiveness on you and declared you righteous? No longer guilty, righteous. But now I'm going to take that forgiveness and I'm going to refuse it to another brother? That's walking in the flesh. All I care about first is the eating and drinking, the lust of my body and sexual desires and lustful things. And this is what I get into. And God is saying, there's a better way to walk. Walk in the spirit. Let Joe flow. And it'll give you what that can never give you. It'll give you what that can never give you. He goes on and on. You go, Pastor, you didn't hit mine yet. Well, which one is yours? It pertains. I promise it'll pertain. You say, well, I'm bitterness. Bitterness chokes out joy because that's the lust of the flesh. You keep going, keep going with me. Watch, what's happening here is kata. Kata is the Greek word which means there's a war between your flesh and your spirit and the enemy is trying to feed your flesh so that it, that tug of war will be won by, because ultimately he wants to see you conquered, dominated, He wants that good squashed. And then he lists some things that are lusts of the flesh. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies. He goes on and on and on. Envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, And the like, he says, and many more that are like this, is what he's saying. That 
squashes, wars against. What's the word for kata? In order to conquer, wants to conquer your spirit. But the fruit of the spirit, verse 22, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no Remember, God wants to see you have joy. The enemy's the one that wants to kill your joy. God wants you to have joy. I think sometimes we've gotten that flipped. And we think, well, why is it that the enemy in the world always wants to have fun and God doesn't want to have no fun? God wants you to have joy. Remember, he's a loving father. And so did I tell you about our bird of paradise? That was second service I told about the bird of paradise. So the bird of paradise is a flower. They come in different sizes and different colors. The white one is the large variety. If you try to buy it already full grown, how how tall is full grown? Does anybody know? Eight feet, eight feet plus. If you buy it full grown, you have to mortgage your house. These things are like expensive. So we bought it little baby and we've been nurturing it and it's growing. Do you realize you can grow up your joy and your peace? And so it's growing and it's, it's blooming. It's, it's, it's starting to, to have new growth. And so I told Pastor Melissa the other day, we were working in the yard yesterday, and I said, hey, your bird of paradise, love, it's got new growth. And she says, it does. She got so excited, she ran over there. She goes, oh my gosh, it has new joy. It has new uh, growth. It has new growth. And I'm watching her and going, man, I love this girl. I just love this girl. And she's still the same girl I married. I married her. We were young. And I can still remember that feeling. And and I'm, I'm just thinking about her. And God says, doesn't compare to the way I feel about you. Tell my people that. Doesn't even compare to the way he feels about you and wants you to live in joy. He wants you to live in joy. That's why he commands it. Walk out joy. But it's hard because the enemy comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. You realize it happens in small little ways? Like right before you get ready to go to church. Isn't that the hardest one? So I tell our group, we do a a discipleship group, and I tell the group, I said, hey, make sure you give him no reason, no excuse, no provision, right? You get your stuff ready in the, in, in the evening. Don't try to get ready, right? And everybody's running around the house yelling at mom, mom, where's this? What's that? Who took this? Who moved my keys? Where did my shoes go? Do, do you know what I'm talking about? And then everybody's getting all flustered and upset and whatnot. And some of you are going, no, nah, I just Put it on. That's, that's what happens for me. I don't, I don't do anything fancy. But, but for the rest of us who do care about who's sitting next to us, um, <laughs> we, so I had gotten some things ready the night before. And one of the things that I got ready was a white t-shirt because I knew this is pretty thing and I need a, I needed an undershirt. Notice I don't have my white t-shirt. It's very much not white. Because I only have one. I don't need many. Minimalism. That's what we're going for here. So I pull out the drawer. No white t-shirt. I said, I checked the night before. I'm not going nuts. I was there. I go, baby. It's one thing I don't like to do is go to my wife. Hey, baby. Do you know what what happened to my white white t-shirt? She says, you're going to have to ask your son. He was just in there. (laughs) See, my son... And I almost wear the same size. I say almost because I got him beat here. But shoulder-wise, we can wear the same size. And a t-shirt is a t-shirt. So he was going to wear it. And then I get to church, and he's not wearing the white t-shirt. So who knows where the white t-shirt is, but I'm not either. And can, you, can I tell you, it began to create some stress there. Because I said, what am I going to do? I don't have any other shirts. What am I going to do? That could have very easily, which leads me to my next point. My next point is joy is a choice. 
It's a command and God can say all day long, rejoice always. But it's the little things that can set you off and steal your joy. I mean, I came this close to just going like, what in the world? Why is I made sure it was here. I said, no problem. I'm going to wear the black athletic undershirt. So I put on the black athletic undershirt, put on my my uh, shirt when I got to church and I took off into first service. And as I'm walking into first service and I shake Robert Reyes's hand, I noticed that my black t-shirt was hanging out and he did too. He goes, and then I look on this side and it was hanging out here too. And I go, I'll be right back. I run into the office and I'm about to have another meltdown going, what do I do? What do I do? We got to perform surgery on this shirt. Can I tell you, sometimes God will use those little situations to perform a little quick surgery on you. Am I right? Sometimes some things got to get cut out. Some attitudes have to get dealt with. Some perspectives have to be changed. And so now I don't have uh, an athletic t-shirt. I've got a t-shirt that's not so athletic anymore with some sleeves halfway chopped up. But they look good for you, don't they? (laughs) Can I tell you this? God has an amazing life for you. He does. He does. But you got to live it his way. You got to live it his way. I've got to live it his way. I've got to be willing to let go of some things. So I get here and my computer's not working in second service. And so I start to freak out there and then God just keeps reminding me he's going to keep trying to steal from you until you determine you're going to choose joy no matter what, no matter what. It's kind of like David and this is where I'll finish with two stories and we'll be done right from God's word. I've got eight minutes because one of the things that I'm not going to let the enemy steal my joy anymore on, I'm going to hit my time every time from now on. That works on me. And so I got eight minutes to tell you that David was facing an impossible situation. What was his his situation? Well, read with me. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Why is he declaring this? Because he's under attack. And he's declaring That the enemy is after me trying to riddle my heart with fear. Trying to have me be fearful and depressed, anxious and overwhelmed. And so he says this, when the wicked came against me to eat my flesh. To eat up my flesh, my enemies and my foes, they stumbled and they fell. Lord, I've seen you deliver me before. Therefore, I'm not going to be afraid. And watch verse 3. Though an army may encamp against me, and my heart shall not fear. So he's telling you what's happening. There is an army that has completely encircled him, encamping against him, wants to destroy him. They want to eat him alive. The war may rise against me, In this, I will be confident. He's reminding himself, it's a gift, it's a command, but now I make my choice to put my trust in the Lord, to put my trust in the Lord. Why? Because when we believe in God, not only are we saved, but we're called to live. What? Not just once upon a time, get saved and then do whatever you want. No, I I died to myself and I got saved. Now I die to myself daily. I die to myself in every situation. I die to myself in every hard time. I die to myself in this circumstance so that I may walk in the spirit and continuously have joy. A joy that will grow and grow and grow to the point that it overflows and it blesses my children's children's children. That's what I want. And this is my confidence. Watch this. Watch this. Uh, Where am I at? Verse 4. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will will I seek. So this one thing he's going to seek. 
that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. Do you know what he's doing here, guys? He's saying, I've learned some things over the years. That when I'm facing a hard time, I need to put my confidence and my trust in God. And I need to get as close to him as possible. I need to get as close to him as possible. If you're having a hard time today, get as close to God as possible. Thank you for being here. Thank you for coming to church. This is what David is saying. Even when I'm not able to physically get to his house because I've been surrounded, because I've been out in the desert, because my, my, my enemies have displaced me and I'm running for my life. Even when I can't get to God's house, I remember that there's sanctuary, there's refuge, there's protection, there's provision. Why? Because there's, a, there's an ancient Middle Eastern cultural thing at play here. That when someone walks into your tent and you welcome them, you have taken responsibility for their safety, for their provision, for their well-being. And David is saying, I want to be in God's house because there's no greater person that I can trust in than him. I want him to be responsible for my safety, my provision, my well-being. Lord, I'm confident because nothing will touch me as long as I'm in your house. And even if I can't physically be there, if I could physically be there, I would be there. Can I get an amen? Meaning, no, I'm in the deer blind. No, 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 get to God's house. I'm over here. No, sometimes you can't physically be there, but that should be the exception, not the rule. And that's what David is saying. Now watch what happens in verse 6. And now my head shall be lifted up, my enemies up, up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle, in his house. I will sing, I will sing praises to the Lord. Do you see the I will statements? I will offer sacrifices of joy. I will sing in his presence. I will be joyful. I will be joyful. Now watch what happens in verse 7. The minute he, faith in God, faith, when you believe, it releases what? Joy. Now he's saying, because I have joy, I give it back. I choose to joyfully worship God. Now why is this an act of faith? You ever been down really, really hard pressed in a hard situation and you say, I trust in you, Lord, but you still walk around like this? That's not real trust. Real trust is when you're like, no, I know you've got it, Lord. Now I can praise you. Now I can just have a good time in your presence. I can totally release it. That's what David is doing here. That's what David is doing. And watch verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said... Seek my face. My heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do you see what just happened there? When you choose to walk in joy, when you choose to live in joy, when you choose to let the spirit of joy overflow, God begins to answer your prayers. David said, oh Lord, this one thing I desire. Oh Lord, I want to know you're with me. Oh Lord. And what did God say to him? It's right there. Seek my face. God told him exactly what to do. He's worried about this army. God said, seek my face. Why did God say, seek my face? Because in the book of Deuteronomy says, when you seek my face, I will turn my face towards you. And when God turns his face towards you, it's a blessing. The Bible says, may his face shine upon you and cause what? His blessing to flow 
upon you. The Bible says, I will bless you as I turn my face towards you, Israel. And I will bless you from generation to generation to generation. And God was telling him, he was saying, you know my word and you know my ways. When I turn my face to you, when you seek my face and I turn my face to you, I will bless you. You don't end here. You don't end here. So you don't need to know anything else. All you need to know is that I will bless you from generation to generation to generation. I have a plan for you, David. Come on, someone needs to get that deep in their heart right now. You want God to detail every last little thing. You need to find joy that comes from the power of the Holy Spirit and have God say, seek my face. I'm turning my face to you. And when my face turns towards you, that means I have good towards you. I have love towards you. I have peace towards you. I have joy towards you. You don't have to know exactly how it ends. All you need to know is that you don't end here. You don't end here. I've got more for you. David said, I'm good. Let's go do this. Let's go take care of business. That's where we finish. But I'm not finished just yet. This joy we're talking about is a tremendous strength. Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is your Now I want to couple this with a New Testament passage. Go to Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, the Bible says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. It was joy that strengthened him that day at the cross. Now go back to Nehemiah. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Now watch what Jesus, what the the Bible says about Jesus. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the... Nehemiah says the joy of the Lord is your... Hebrews says that the joy of the Lord was Christ's strength. And that was the single greatest thing that ever took place in human history, what he did at the cross. That same joy is what he gave you. That same joy. Don't let the enemy take it from you. Don't let the enemy take it from you. He'll try different ways. But don't you dare let him take it from you. I love you, church. I don't have a communion cup. I'm going to jump down here and I'm going to grab one. Thank you, Hector. So as I do communion, I want to remind you of a story of Paul and Silas. They were preaching the gospel. They were two missionaries in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul wrote half of the New Testament, if not more. And his, him and his buddy Silas, they were preaching and they got thrown in prison and they were put in stocks. And when I was a young preacher, I built some stocks and I had a young man get in the stocks. And so you're spread to the point where it's very uncomfortable for your legs and then you're put in your arms like this. And you cannot get comfortable. And your legs are excruciating, uh, feeling excruciating pain and your arms are, are under fire too. And so in the physical You have no reason to feel anything less than pain. But the Bible says that the joy of the Lord is your strength. And Paul and Silas showed that to be true because they began to sing shouts of joy. Do you know that the Bible says when you feel joy, sometimes you just got to shout. Shout. And so they began to shout in prison. And everything changed. Their joy was testimony to the guard. It's testimony to us. So I don't know what you're going through. But joy can transform it. Because joy transcends what's happening on this world. And takes you to a spiritual strength, a 
spiritual strength. Jesus Christ made that possible by his gift for you at the cross. If you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, I'm still dangling over eternity and I, I want to be confident. I want to be confident like David was confident. Put your trust in Jesus Christ. How do I do that? He does all the heavy lifting. You just say, Lord, today I come to you completely humble. Humble. I want life. And I know life is found in you. I trust that you died for me. You died for me. I've been trying to defeat sin on my own. And instead of defeating sin, I've lowered you. Today I ask you to defeat it in me by your power. I turn from this sin and I put my faith and trust in you, Lord Jesus. That means I no longer live. I want you to live in me and through me. If that's you, then you'll be saved today. You might say, Pastor, I've done that before, but I've gotten off. Then do it again. Jesus says, to be a disciple of Christ, you do it every day. Every day, say, Lord, I want to live by your joy. Thank you, God. As one people, one voice, Lord, all made all made participants in this beautiful joy and peace by your blood. We say thank you. In Jesus' name, have a great, great week. I love you, church.